Well, good morning, Northland family. It's good to be with you here in person and those of you that are joining us online. We're glad that you've joined us. You know, in the early days of uh, the Methodists, they used to, when they gathered together in small groups or together, they would ask themselves the question, how is it with your soul? So I ask you that question this morning, how is it with your soul? Last uh, Sunday, I was in the bookstore, and, and Donna in the bookstore, whenever she gets kind of a new release, she'll, you know, share it with me. Here's a new book. So she hands me this book uh, entitled World on Fire. <laughs> it doesn't mean the fire is burning out west. It talks about the world's on fire. And it really, it really is on fire. I mean, we're still in the midst of a, of a global pandemic that seems to be rearing its ugly head again. And, you know, uh, by the way, pray for my brother Ted and his family there. He's in the hospital with COVID. He's really struggling. And I know that you probably know somebody as well. We're still in it, gang. And there's lots of confusion. Oh, my goodness. What's true? What's not true? What's right? What's wrong? And then we have, a, you know, this social media that's sort of grouped us up into uh, kind of a tribalism, you know? This tribe is against that tribe, and this tribe's against that tribe, and the world's on fire. It really is. So how is it with our soul? You know, all the more it's important, and we've been studying in the book of Colossians in this series called Rooted. If ever there was a time, folks, we need to be rooted. Rooted in Jesus Christ. Rooted in who he is and what he has done for us. It's like a plant. You know, a plant that has roots that are well established, right? Uh, that, that feed off the nutrients of good, rich soil. Because whatever happens under the ground determines what is above the ground. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he's wrapping up this letter to the Colossians, he's wrapping it up with some exhortations to the Bride of Christ, to the church. Exhortations that have to do with the way we pray, the way we live, and the way we speak to one another that would have an impact on the gospel, that people would be drawn to Christ rather than repelled from Christ. When I was a little boy, I grew up in a family of nine kids, right? That's a lot of kids. And around our house, you know, we'd like to kind of snack in the evening, and, um, you know, snacks would be left out. And quite frankly, we had a problem with roaches, serious problem with roaches. And I have memories of getting up or listening to my mother in the middle of the night. She had one of these pump-up black flag sprayers. You know, you put all the stuff in this container, and you... And I remember hearing her in the middle of the night going, right? Getting up in the morning and there's like the smell of insecticide and bugs, you know, roaches laying everywhere. Uh, I'll never forget that. You know, sometimes the church, we don't respond real good sometimes to the things that are happening in our culture. We continue to slide morally into a swampland and, and we've not really responded that well. Some of us just get angry or we feel our rights are being taken away. And um, that doesn't really draw people to Jesus. It sometimes pushes them away. I'm suggesting that we consider what it would be 
to be the fragrance of Christ, as Paul describes. What would it be like to be the church that prays and lives and speaks in a way where people want to know the good news about Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to talk about today, and that's what Paul exhorts us to do in Colossians. So I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am a prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your love. And Lord, here we are, the bride of Christ, and we confess that we've not always been that beautiful of a bride. And so we ask you even this morning that you would help us, uh, that we would listen to your word, that you would move us by your spirit to become the fragrance of Christ so that others might be drawn to you. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So three simple things that Paul exhorts us to do. First is to pray. Pray persistently. Pray persistently. Uses the word continue steadfastly, which means to give constant attention to. To persist with perseverance. You remember when Jesus in Luke 11, Jesus was always kind of getting up early in the morning and he'd go to these quiet places and you know, he'd pray. And the disciples started to notice, you know, they're making the connection. Whatever he's doing there uh, has an effect on what he does all day long. <laughs> and so they ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. So, so, so in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, um, he gives us the model prayer, right? We pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But he follows that with a parable, the parable of the persistent friend. It's a parable where um, this family gets unexpected guests that show up. And in the Middle East, you know, when unexpected guests show up, you better be able to show hospitality and provide food. Well, this family were just, you know, happened to be, uh, you know, a little short on food, right? And so the guy goes next door to a friend and says, hey, look, we've had unexpected company. Uh, could you give us some flour and some bread? We, we, we have to take care of our guests. Well, it was the middle of the night, and the guy says, hey, we're all in bed, you know, don't bother us. Well, the guy keeps persisting, keeps persisting. And finally, the friend gets up and gives him what he wants to take care of his guests. In Matthew, when Jesus talks about prayer, he says, ask, seek, and knock. The tense there is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And so we are called upon to, to pray persistently. 
I was reminded this uh, last week, we have a committee, that uh, search committee for a new lead pastor, and Awusa was our, one of our governing elders, was leading our prayer time. And he reminded us, hey gang, we've been doing this for like a year, at 7.15 every Tuesday morning. And, and his encouragement to us is not to give up. Let's keep being persistent. And we encourage you to do the same. Keep being persistent. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Um, some of you have been praying a long time for a son or a daughter, a parent, a friend, a co-worker to come to the Lord. Keep on praying. Don't stop. Keep on praying. And Paul talks about when we pray to be watchful. Watchful. Well, there's a couple connotations here with this word watchfulness. One is uh, an alertness or paying attention. Paying attention to uh, what's going on in your soul. Paying attention what is the Spirit uh, uh, inviting me to pray about. But it also has the connotation of anticipation, the looking forward to, the idea of a watchman who's on the wall of a city. He's watching out, waiting for something to come. You know, for centuries, the church has been promised that Jesus Christ would come back again. And we've always lived with the anticipation. We don't know the day nor the hour, do we, right? But we live with the anticipation that Jesus will come back again. That's really important. Uh, it's really easy to get discouraged, you know, with the world on fire. Right? Lord, where are you? Well, remember what Jesus said to those disciples the night before he went to the cross? In John chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house there's many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back again. That where I am, there you will be also. That's a promise we have throughout the New Testament of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but what I've been hearing lately, even with some of the preachers, there's an urgency that I'm hearing of an anticipation of the Lord's soon return. In fact, if we go to the book of Revelation, a lot of people are studying that right now. If you go to the last chapter, it's Jesus says, I'll be coming soon. And then the last prayer in the Bible is, come Lord Jesus. So when we pray, we pray with an anticipation of return because that's about hope. The only hope we have for a world on fire is Jesus Christ and him coming back to be with us. He also says to be thankful when you pray. We pray with thanksgiving. In fact, Paul, several times in this letter, when he prays, there's thankfulness. We always thank God. This is chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then in verse Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Chapter 2, verse 6, therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. You know, did you know that having a grateful heart and being thankful is good for you? It's good for our health. Science has proved that having a, an attitude of gratitude uh, is actually good for your health and mental health, physical and mental health. Studies have shown that you actually live longer by being grateful. It even helps you sleep. I know the songwriter, uh, every night before she goes to bed, she intentionally thinks of three things that she's grateful for. The medical field has proven that it even boosts our, our immune system to be thankful. People who study trauma and recovering from trauma have discovered that coming up with a, 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 a list of things one's thankful for actually helps somebody recover from trauma. So there's a lot of benefits of being thankful. But most important, far more important than I'm thankful for this meal or I'm thankful for this nice day, is being thankful for the goodness of God. Being thankful for the salvation that we have. We think about salvation. I'm saved. Well, saved from what? Hmm, think about that. I have a daughter. She's uh, an ICU nurse down in West Palm Beach. And she works in the um, cardiac unit in ICU. And a couple of years ago, they had a client come in, a patient come in, who had a pretty serious heart attack. A young man with wife and children. Uh, and he was in pretty rough shape. And in fact, he coded 17 times. Uh, they weren't sure he was going to make it. They weren't sure that he had brain activity. And they had almost given up on this guy. And they had one more intervention. They were debating, you know, should we try it or not try it, you know? Well, you have to know my daughter. <laughs> my daughter, Stephanie, she just does not give up that easily. So she literally laid on his chest, grabbed his hand, and said, if you are in there, squeeze my hand. He squeezed her hand. They applied the intervention. Miraculously, this guy had a full recovery and reunited with his family. And ever so often, this whole family shows up at the hospital with bearing gifts for my daughter and the medical team over and over and over again out of gratitude. Ladies and gentlemen, God has been so good to us. We were going the opposite direction from God, and he chased after us like the song says. There is no wall that he wouldn't break down. There is no mountain that he wouldn't climb. There was no lie that he would tear down to get a hold of us and make us his own. He delivered us from the domain of darkness under Satan's rule. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We had a pile of sin debt on us. And he took every single one of them and paid that debt in full. Think about that, gang. That's a lot to be thankful for. God is so, so good. 
And so when we pray, we're to pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for his goodness, thanksgiving for his salvation. And Paul here, he asks prayer for himself. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which how I ought to speak. Now listen to Paul's prayer request. He's in prison, right? You would think, well, the prayer request would be, get me out of prison, right? That's not his prayer. You know, he was in prison and stood behind, stood before the highest political magistrates of his time. He did not get before them and demand his rights as a Roman citizen. He saw it as an opportunity to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. His prayer was not for emancipation. His prayer was for proclamation. He even stood before King Agrippa. If you'll read that in Acts 26, he's not complaining about the system. He's preaching to Agrippa, and Agrippa's almost convinced. He says, hey, whoo, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. But he prayed specifically that he could speak clearly, clearly. In a corresponding verse in Ephesians, he prays that he would speak clearly, but also boldly. Clearly and boldly. I remember the first time I really heard the message of the gospel clearly. Uh, and an illustration was used that I'll share with you. But my idea was, I thought, well, you know, God's got this big scale up in heaven. And all my good things go on one side and all my bad things go on the other side. And, you know, if the good outweighs the bad, you know, I'm pretty good shape. No problem. I get to heaven. But if the bad outweighs the good, then I'm in deep trouble, right? That was my understanding of, uh, of, of how we do this, right? How God would accept me. Wrong. Well, I heard somebody give this message, and he used this illustration. He said, let this hand represent us. That'd be all of us, right? All of us, the whole world. And let this wallet represent our sin. Nobody's without it, right? We were born in sin. We all sin and come short of the glory of God, Scripture says. Well, here's the deal. God is perfect, holy, and righteous. And he can only accept holy, perfect righteousness to have a relationship with him. So there's this problem in the way, this problem called sin. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how many times I turn over a new leaf, be good, try this, stop that, I still got this problem, right? Well, that's bad news because God can't accept that. Here's the good news, that God loved the world, but he hates our sin. So here's what God did. God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and he took our sin upon himself. Scripture puts it this way. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, which we do not have. We have been made the righteousness of Christ because our sin debt was placed on Jesus and we've been made righteous in Jesus Christ as a gift. 
One of the first verses I memorized was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. The second verse I remember memorizing was 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you, have eternal, that you might know, not guess, know that you have eternal life. You see, Jesus did all that, but we have to respond in faith. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. He takes care of the rest. Paul prays, make, help me to make that clear. Help me to make that message of the gospel clear and understandable. I would encourage us when you're praying that you pray for those teachers who are teaching kids right now as they prepare their lessons uh, to teach those children the word of God. Pray for them. Pray for them that they can make it clear. Pray for those doing student ministries, those that are leading small groups, those that are leading Bible studies. Pray for them. Pray for the preachers who stand up here. Good night do we need your prayers. We're a mess. We need your prayers. We can't do this without your help because you're part of this. Gospel news, good news. Encourage you to pray. Okay, now, point two. Paul says, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the very best of your time. Ephesians says, be careful how you walk. When I was uh, about 11 years old, my grandfather used to take me like weeks at a time up to Canada fishing on the beautiful lakes and, and trout streams there. Fond memories, right? Well, I have memories of my grandpa putting these waders on, you know, that would come up to my armpits. They were too big for me. And he put these big boots on me and, and he'd put some extra hooks and, and extra sinkers because he'd know when I'd get hung up in the trees and have to put new hooks on. Uh, and it always, he would put a hostess Twinkie in there. You know, you remember those? Hostess Twinkies, pure sugar, right? <laughs> and he would send me off and he would be gone all day and I wouldn't see him. My mother had killed him, for sure. But I remember distinctly and he'd put me into that trout stream. He'd say, now Johnny, you be careful how you walk in the stream. Yeah, Pa, I got that. Well, you can pretty much imagine when I would get excited and, you know, catching fish and this and that. Well, sure enough, I slipped, filled up the waders full of water, you know, had to lean up on the bank to let all the water come out. I wasn't walking wisely. I wasn't very careful. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a culture with a very strong current with slippery rocks that just want to take us downstream. We have to walk wisely. Walk wisely. Where do we find wisdom? Well, this book says that in him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, Jesus had a brother named James. You knew that, right? He wrote the book of James. Now, James, Jesus was his older brother, so James got to watch Jesus grow up. And as Luke said, Jesus grew in wisdom. And so James learned a lot by watching Jesus walk wisely. In fact, in the early part of his letter, he says if we need wisdom, what do we do? We ask God for it. 
If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it shall be given to him. God is generous and he's good and he wants us to have wisdom. And later on in that book, James describes a contrast of wisdom. Who is wise? This is chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a contrast, right? See the contrast? Worldly wisdom is fueled by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. What's the result? Disorder, division. Do we not see that in a world on fire, right? A world that is so mad and angry and, and hurtful, it leads to disorder in every evil practice. But what about the wisdom that comes from above? What about that? It's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What does it yield? A harvest of righteousness. It yields reconciliation, not division. Folks, that's the perfume of Christ right there. That's what it is to be the fragrance of Christ. So we need to check ourselves, right? And we can ask God for this kind of wisdom and live this kind of life that draws people to Jesus. He also says about wisdom, it's here he says, make the best use of your time. The word exagorazo is used there. It means, it's like a market term, to, to buy it, uh, to snatch it up. You know, when something's on sale, and you don't want to miss the sale, so you, you snatch it up. And the word time here is the word kairos. Kairos is that, you know, in the moment, you know, that you're in the moment, and there's an opportunity there, and you take it. You make the best, you snatch it up. Uh, I have a grandson. He's 10 years old, Parker John. They were up visiting us, and one morning, it was a Saturday morning, and uh, I'm out in the shop, and I've got this list of things I got to do, chores, right? A whole bunch of stuff that I got to do this day. And Parker John comes walking into the workshop, and he says, So, Paul, what are we going to do today? And I got my list. <laughs> and I know what that boy's thinking. I says, you want to go fishing? We loaded up the canoe and we, we went fishing. That was a Kairos moment. I had, I had a decision to make. Do I get my list done or do I take an opportunity to spend it with a 10-year-old and make a memory? It was a Kairos moment. We all have those moments, those moments when the Holy Spirit nudges you and, you know, you need to give so-and-so a call. 
You need to help this person out. When those moments come to you, those are kairos moments, wisdom says, I'm going to follow through and I'll make that call. Walk wisely. Last of all, speak graciously. Speak graciously. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The corresponding verse in Ephesians adds this, chapter 4, verse 29. Do not uh, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. James talks a lot about the tongue, does he not? In the book of James, he says, it might be a little thing, but it has powerful influence. It's like a, a bit in a horse. We have a thousand pound horse on our place. He's big and heavy. Put that bit in his mouth, you can take him anywhere. You ever been on a cruise ship? That thing can make a turn by a small udder on the back of that ship. Talk about fires that we're having out west, right? These blazing fires. All starts with a little spark. Something we say that can really hurt somebody. Whether we speak it or we put it on social media, right? We have this way now to really cause big fires by what we say on social media. We have to be careful with our words. Some of you, some of you live with words that were spoken to you that were hurtful, maybe abusive, and you know the impact that those words have had on you maybe four years. You also know maybe you've had someone you weren't feeling much like anything and somebody really encouraged you. They saw something in you and they they used words to build you up. Proverbs says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. We are to be a people who speak words of life into one another. In closing, I ask you, how is it with your soul? I don't mean that lightly. How is it with your soul? Last week, we had um, four of my grandkids and my two sisters and their two grandkids come up uh, for the weekend, and we were going on a canoe trip over at King's Landing. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful place. Uh, you just get in a canoe and you go up this beautiful spring water, awesome time. So here we are, four, four canoes, bunch of kids, you know, having a wonderful time. Well, I have a sister who brought her only granddaughter. Her name's Lily. Now, Lily hasn't had the easiest life. Let's put it this way. Uh, her mother and her father had pretty serious issues. And this young lady, um, I mean, you talk about instability and unpredictability and just, you know, where am I going to be tonight? It's just awful. Thankfully, she had a, a godly grandmother, my sister named Monica. I took her to church. I taught her about Jesus. And let me tell you, this 11-year-old 
has a relationship with Jesus. So here we are in the river. And my sister said, you know, she's been talking to me for a year about getting baptized. I say, okay. Here we are. Here we are in the Jordan River. Let's do it. <laughs> so, so I got little Lily right there. Precious thing. I said to her, Lily, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yep. Do you believe that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins? Yep. Do you believe that you're Jesus' kid? She goes, I'm Jesus' kid. I'm Jesus' child, she said. That's really funny. Do you believe he rose again from the dead? Yep. And I said, then I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful Kairos moment. I'm going to ask you those same questions right now. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that He loves you and died for you? Yes. Do you believe that He rose again from the dead? Yes. That's good. Because it's really important that you answer that question yes. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. Perish is real. There's an urgency to this message. Later on, two verses after that, he says, he that believeth on me is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. The last verse in that chapter, verse 36, Jesus says, He that believeth in me has everlasting life. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abides on him. Folks, that is serious. That is serious. You know, sometimes we, we're casual about this. It's like, you know, if you're kicking the tires of Christianity, you know, I'm thinking... Quit kicking the tires. Get in the car. For goodness sake. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us. So if you're here to, this morning, here in this building, or you're hearing us online, there is a sense of urgency. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ today, we urge you, as Paul would urge you, You've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do with it? Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have never done that, we urge you to do that today. There'll be some folks down here up front that would love to chat with you about that. They'll stay here all day and talk to you because it's that important. If you're online, you have uh, your online minister. I'd be glad to chat with you about that. It's really important. It's life or death. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, we are thankful that you were good. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are eternally grateful to you. Father, we pray if there's anybody right now, right here in this Kairos moment, in this room or online, anywhere in the world, that if they are wondering where they would spend eternity, that they could settle that matter right now 
by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. You said if we believe in you, you have given us eternal life as a gift and we can know and have the assurance that heaven is our home. We pray that your spirit would move upon anyone that's right at that edge that they would believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.